Welcome to Sunburnt Country Music, interviews with Australian country music artists. My name is Sophie and I have been interviewing Australian country music artists for over a decade and I still love it. I love their stories, I love their insights and I love their music. So I hope you enjoy hearing from them on this podcast. Nathan Six is a singer and songwriter from Geelong in Victoria who released his first album, The Heart of the City, in 2019. He has been releasing some great singles over the past few months and they can now be found on his new album, Something Rare and Beautiful, and I'm going to talk to him about that. Hi, Nathan. How are you doing, Soph? Very well, thank you. I've been listening to your album and uh, it's, a, it's a full spectrum, full colour experience, I think. Yeah, there's uh that's the the beauty of a spectrum is there's there's a lot of a lot of distance to cover yeah yeah like yes look there's a lot of life in it but I wanted to start by asking what are the rare and beautiful things for you oh like I found myself talking about music being the great uniter mm-hmm. um that that I think those are the rare and beautiful moments that I'm finding um you know being able to go back out on the road and connect with people um you know you could walk into a venue and you know there you could be in a sea of strangers but by the end of the show you've been able to connect um you know maybe over a beer or there's a, a song that uh, you've you've found some common ground on and you know a lot of the people in my life I've I've found through those moments like I think that's rare and beautiful um we've uh, we had a, a, a pandemic baby there are some some rare and beautiful moments there uh, in amongst all the other things. Um, and yeah, so being able to to go out on the road, we did uh, a South Australian tour. And I say we because it was my wife, Sharon, and the toddler and myself. You know, we did the, the tour for the first single over to South Australia through regional Victoria. We just came back from New South Wales and the three of us went again. Um, and those moments where, like, we call them, like, the, the core memories that we're sort of, mm-hmm. we're, we're developing and we're making, mm-hmm. uh, those moments are rare and beautiful. I think on the album you write about some experiences that we might all share, yet because they're personal to you, they are rare. You know, they've only happened to you and in, in your sphere of uh, family and friends. So I really like the fact that you were able to to be so specific and therefore be universal. I'm wondering if that's been a characteristic of your songwriting the whole way along. It's definitely something that I chase. Um, it's, you know, it's the dragon. Um, the When I first started songwriting, um, I'm sure that there are people out there who are familiar with Pat Patterson's work. Um, he's um, at the Berkeley College there over in the States, and he's a, an amazing um, teacher of, of, of the word, the, uh, the economics of the word. Um, and he talks about how um, you can make your words someone else's mm-hmm. um, and vice versa. Um, you know, you might talk about uh, running along the beach at, at full speed. And when you say that, the beach that I'm thinking of is going to be different than the beach that you're thinking of, but mm-hmm. can still connect to that um, core experience, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I try to um, not shoehorn in, but be aware of as I'm putting words down or when the editor comes back to, you know, to finalise what's going to be the, you know, version five of the song if we get mm-hmm. there. Um, yeah, definitely thinking about those sort of things. 
So when you started to write this album, uh, did you have a specific starting point? Was there one particular rare and beautiful thing in mind? Was it was it actually the experience of music you were thinking of? Um, the first song that I wrote for the record was um, track six, which is Little Church. Oh, yeah. And that is definitely, like, if you put, you know, let's say Moonlight Creek from the first record, which is heavy as heavy, and then you put Little Church on after it, or even vice versa, um, you'd go, this, this is not the same person. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I, I knew that I'd done the heavy, heavy stuff, you know, tonally, and I wanted to see if I could create something that was not heavy or sad, you know, it wasn't a sad mm-hmm. kind of song, but still had weight to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, like the first time I played that song, uh, I, I finished the, you know, I preambled by saying this is, I've, I've written a happy song. I hope, I hope you guys are going to be okay with that. And at the end of the set, a good friend came up and she goes, it's still sad. <laughs> like, yeah, but it sounds happy. <laughs> it's a major key. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of twang and, you know, uplifting moments in there, man. It's all right. <laughs> and it is about a wedding day gone awry. Um, so, uh, but it's a whole, it's a whole story. Like there's a whole wedding day in there. So I'm wondering uh, for that song in particular, did you start with a scene or did you have the whole story in mind? Oh, I, I thought of just what could go wrong and I listed everything. Like <laughs> I, just, I had a page and I just started writing down what could go wrong. And I, you know, Oh, that won't fit. Oh, that, you know, that would, how can I make that part? Yeah, it was it was definitely a juggle. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's very vivid. And it's yeah, yeah, it is the the list of things you don't want to have happen on a wedding day. <laughs> yeah. It's just I'm trying to get onto uh, like farmer wants a wife or yeah. like one of those other things is like, you know, just get we'll get a sync deal in there somewhere. Well, I think saying you drove three hours to the ceremony, that's, yeah, that's father wants a wife territory right there, just you and the celebrant. Um, now, part of my impression of the album is that you are documenting some nostalgic parts of your life, but you're not wallowing in nostalgia. Um, and it's more of an acknowledgement of the contribution that the past makes to the present and the future. I think that that is a bit of a theme that runs through quite a few of the songs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I didn't write much through the, the, the dark years of, you know, 2020, 2021. Um, I, a lot of the album came out sort of as, as we started to open up as a, you know, a a global community and, you know, local community. Um, I wrote the closer of the, of the album, the end of the rope, which is a song of hope. That was the only thing I wrote during that time. And that was specifically because I needed some hope and the songs that I was listening to in my downtime, which was a lot, was there were songs of hope. Um, you know, there was a lot of Nathaniel Rateliff and there was a, a lot of Springsteen and um, you know a lot of you know Stack Soul stuff. And I, you know, that's what how we sort of wound up with that that big closer sound. Um, yeah, I forgot what the what the first question was. I started. Talking. <laughs> I was just about nostalgia being part of it, but I, I will um, ask. Sorry, go on. No, 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 no. That's cool. Like, I, I, I get like that. I, I forget what the, the starting point is. Um, that's how a lot of my songs start. I forget that they just they wind up finished. Um, but yeah, like I didn't want to write about. You know, I've, I've said this on stage numerous times. I didn't want to write a song that was about everything that I watched on Netflix or uh, you know, uh, here's here's my couch in great detail. Here's ten songs about my footstool. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's 
I, I looked I looked in rather than out, uh, and you know started to look at the some of the greatest hits of, of Nathan's life. Yeah. <laughs> um. So in saying that you didn't write a lot during the dark time, some people did. Like that was they, they thought, oh, yippee, like I've got time to write, and and they were quite productive. But it seems that there was also amongst songwriters a response to how how their own energy was flowing. It's like if it was stagnant because of lockdowns. They just weren't going to push it, um, and they weren't going to they weren't going to force themselves to use what seemed like a good opportunity to write a lot. Was that the case for you? Yeah, I um, when the the first record came out in 2019, I threw everything that I had into it, as well as working full time. You know, um, it, you know, it took me over to the, to the states to do Americana Fest and you know Queenscliff Music Festival and. Um, there are a lot of positives that came with it. And by the end of that 2019 year, went into the start of 2020 and I was, I was just burned. Like I, I was, I was pretty tapped out mm-hmm. and everything stopped. I went, cool. I'm going to do that too. Right. Um, and I, you know, there were months that I didn't pick up a guitar. I was right there teaching remotely and the guitars were like behind me, like they are now. I had no interest because there was no story to tell. There was no experience that I was like, you know what? Oh, I need to tell people about this thing that I've either I've just done or that's reminded me of an experience that I had when I was 11 or 12. I want to, I want to share that with the world that just the juice wasn't flowing. Yeah. So have you trusted your instinct in that way before as a songwriter um, or perhaps from the start? That was the first time. Uh, look, not not the way that I have on this thing. Right. Um, my, my my mindset changed. Okay. I wasn't sure how many of these things I'd get to do. Right. So I was like, right, if this was the last one, um, what pieces of me could I inject into it? I don't think I I gave entirely over to the process. I think I've, there's a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, um been walking the the earth for a while now um so i i I think there will be more more records but i just had not um let the guard down i guess um and that's a you know that's a that's a thing you do you you put the walls up and then it takes a long time to build them up and it takes a long time to bring them down yeah well, you said you didn't give everything of yourself. I don't, yeah, I, I think that's a good thing for artists to hold hold something back because otherwise you can really just run the world dry, essentially. I mean, I know you you keep living, you're making new um, memories and things to write about, but this, I don't know that the audience is owed all of you, if you know what I mean. No, um, I think we give enough of ourselves, not just in our music, but in our silly little Instagram posts that we do to to try and get some traction and some content. Um, it's like, look at me, look, I'm doing it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I feel we do give a lot. Yes. And it's also, you know, you've got to keep something back for live performance because that is, uh, that's a whole energetic arc of ramping up and, you know, tapering down and all those sorts of things. And if you ran yourself out as a recording artist, as a songwriter, nothing there for the performance. Uh, I like. I remember, and I'll paraphrase here. Um, it was Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins who talked about, you know, the the really sad songs or the really heavy weighty songs, especially if they are personal. 
that you sort of you need to detach a little bit and not and not give yourself over to it, especially mm-hmm. in that live performance. I've done that. There's a track on the the record. I watched you slip away from me, mm-hmm. and one of the first times I played that, I actually had to turn around at the end of the 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 playing of it because I just I I was in it and I was yeah. like, sorry guys, I'm just going to need a moment here because I was like, oh yeah, it's a lot. Um, yeah, and I can understand why in that track because it, it is very powerful um, for the listener as well. Obviously, more powerful for you because it's your experiences. Um, but uh, speaking of another particular song on the track, "Cassette in the Tape Deck," is a lovely tribute to your father, as is the music video. Um, had you written a song about him before? Um, no, 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 no. Um, and that was one that I I laboured over um, probably more so than. I have with any other other song like um there are some songs that come to you it's almost like a gift from the universe you know you sit down and 20 minutes later you've got this thing on the page um it wasn't like that with that song I had a a fair idea um but I wanted to get it right Mm um and yeah like I'd never I'd never sort of written a song for a family member or you know um delved into like that is 100% autobiographical that song like everything in that song happened um and yeah it was it was a a very nice experience to be able to share that with him um when it came out he was uh he was pretty stoked he still says online like in the comments he's one of the biggest trolls I've got that he prefers the he prefers the wildest thing and I was like cheers dad that's awesome (laughs) Well, that's interesting as well, considering what the wildest thing is about. <laughs> yeah, look, he, he's lived a life. <laughs> and clearly he's wanting to remember that <laughs> through that song. Uh, like the support, yeah, like he was he was all for it. And, um, yeah, he was like, you know, why, why are you writing a song about the Tirana? I'm like, because that was, like, you know, I was 11. And yeah. that kind of car, you know, and maybe it's the rose-coloured nostalgia glasses, but... You know, an eight hundred dollar rust bucket can be a can be a sports car, man. It's yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, another song on the album is "King of the Room," which is about a very relatable experience being at a gig when someone is talking their way through it, but someone else is talking their way through it. But the subtext is that music deserves respect. I think. Um, I'm wondering if you feel that respect for live music might have dissipated a little when we didn't have it for so long, and that perhaps. Um, yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff happening in, happening with live performance at the moment where ticket sales are not what they were. It's very hard for artists to let people know, I guess, or get their attention for gigs. So partly I think um, everyone's a bit out of practice going to shows and perhaps forgetting how wonderful live music can, not can be, how, how wonderful it is. Yeah. Um, look, I think coming back very early on, um, there was um, almost like, uh, you know, when you switch the lights on or the, you know, the cockroaches freeze, like there was, you know, or the, the deer in the headlights sort of look about it. Um, but the people who who came back early were the people who really needed it mm-hmm. and they were oh so appreciative. And, though, like, I'm very lucky to have those people coming along to shows and, really caring about not just the music but me as a as a human being and that that level of respect you know when it's quiet that's a good thing um you know you sort of finish the song and you're like you guys okay and it's like <laughs> yeah yeah we're, we're being respectful and it's like oh yeah okay 
I remember that. That's cool. Yeah. So have you played quite a bit over the past little while since Victoria opened up again? Sorry, my internet's a bit funky. Oh, so, so have you played quite a bit since Victoria opened up? I mean, you said you've, you've been touring, but have you played in your home state a bit? Um, yeah, the um, this year especially, I feel like I've, yeah, the, the ball is rolling really well. Um, you know, uh, a bunch of shows around Melbourne and, and Geelong and, um there is a, a really a really nice crowd of you know, supportive people that are they're excited for for the record and um I've had some very some lovely conversations with people who were um you know just a little bit uh not surprised but like you know oh geez man you this is this is really good like you know um which as an Australian you you don't know how to take a compliment so you go Oh, cool, man. That's yeah, yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even talking about it now, I'm just like, how how do I how do I talk about that without yeah? Uh, how do I just do it in general? Yeah, <laughs> it is an Australian thing, but also I think because again, back to the specificity of your lyrics, um, a lot of people in the audience would find a lot to relate to, and and it. I think in turn that helps them connect with their own memories of things and their own feelings about things that have happened to them. Yeah. Um, and that with cassette, I think more so than anything that I have written before, um, everyone remembers the first family car. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you were lucky enough to have two cars in the family, I've had you know some people have told me about how there was the good car and then there was the <laughs> car. Um, and that, you know, in our family, we're, we're not, we're not rich by any means, but there was always dad's car and it, the interior of it always looked the same. There was always surf wax. There was always, um, like one cricket pad. Like, I don't know where the other one went. Um, like he was a, a, an avid, or he is, or was an avid cricket player. And, um, you know, it was all, the interior was always the same. There was always, you know, the same cassettes um with like there were cassettes in in the wrong cases like with the wrong pulling and you're like oh I want to listen to this John Farnham and you open it up and it's Bob Seger it's like oh oh well (laughs) win-win now I want to know what happened to the other cricket pad that's a mystery waiting to be solved (laughs) he's he's a he's a mysterious man my dad Now, I'm also interested in when you started performing, you have this fantastic voice. Um, it's not a voice that that just turns up by magic one day, I would I would imagine. So have you developed your voice over the course of performing? Um, yeah, look, I I don't have any problem going to a 100 or, you know, um, <laughs> I had someone uh, say to me as the, the first record came out, you don't have to come out at 10 um you know you you can you can come out at six and then level it um so working on the dynamics of my voice um not trying to compete with audiences like mm-hmm. trying to sing over the top of people who are talking doesn't work you, you almost need to go the other way and bring it right right down and then they you know they'll sort of go oh okay and shush <laughs> um but yeah, my voice is definitely something that um, I've worked on for a long time. Um, of course, if people start talking, you could just start singing "King of the Room" and maybe they'll get it. <laughs> but they don't do it at my shows. Like it's <laughs> almost like I want people to to learn it and then they can cover it at their shows. And like, oh, okay, we've got a 
but a couple of chatty Cathy's down the front here. And it's like, damn. Yeah. Now, you are, um, for several years until last year, uh, a radio host as well. Um, you had Last Night in Town as your show, and it was a, a beloved uh, radio show. Uh, I'm wondering if you miss it at all or you needed to set it aside in order to work on your music. Um, look, a bit of both, honestly, Soph. Like, um, I, I do miss doing what you do, which is sharing the music of, of Australians. There are not many outlets that we have that are independent and, you know, fueled by passionate people, um, you know, people like yourselves and people like community radio, it, it's filled with people who love music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, like, I, I really do. I just, I needed time to be able to put my voice back out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt that when I started or before the pandemic, I was the musician who had a radio show and then, mm-hmm. I became the radio guy who, oh, didn't you play music as well? Um, and I didn't like that switch of things. Okay. Uh, uh, as I said, the, you know, the the toddler arrived and uh, I want to be present, um, you know, and what, what goes into a show is not just roll up at 6 p.m. on a Thursday and play whatever. Mm-hmm. You've got lots of emails to get through and you want to make sure that, um the playlist like like a, an old mixtape that it's got to have flow and you know you can't put um yeah anyway there's a, there's a mechanics to it that we could yeah. probably go into for ages um so yeah i do miss it um there's been opportunities for me to to do some guesty spots on some other people's shows which has been lovely mm-hmm. um but yeah look i i would never shut the door on it i think that would be silly um mm-hmm. I, I definitely yeah miss being able to sing the praises of my peers and my friends who I know are busting their butts to to put music out each week. Yeah, and there is so much great music out there, including your album, Something Rare and Beautiful. There is my segue. <laughs> and, um, Nathan, it's been so good to talk to you about the album. It is a fantastic album and um, I think uh, really deserves many, many listens, close and far, actually. Enjoy the music from afar. Come up close for the lyrics. Uh, and uh, hopefully people will get out to see your shows when you're playing next. Thanks so much for talking to me. Very much so. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Sunburnt Country Music Podcast. For more Australian country music interviews and reviews and other things, go to sunburntcountrymusic.com or to Sunburnt Country Music on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok.